Um, Sunday, can I just invite you to come up and share what happened for you at camp a year or two ago? Um, this is really special. Hello. Um, yeah, so I'm Cindy. Um, oh, it's a pretty long story actually, but um, I'll try and make it as succinct as possible. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, so some background. Um, Andy and I had been on this journey of um, wanting to have children for quite a long time. So that was probably started like six years ago. And through that process, um, we discovered that I had this autoimmune disease, which was pretty rubbish. And then um, to treat that, we had to do that before we could try and get pregnant again. And so I um, tried a couple of treatments that took up to two years. One of them I had to wait like six months to see if it had worked. And then after that six month period, it hadn't. And so it was a real downer. And then we were like, okay, last resort, we're just gonna have my thyroid out because it's just like, we had two miscarriages and it was just impacting the ability to procreate. So, <laughs> um, so we did that and then um, the surgeon who had um, taken me through the surgery had said, you know, like, there are this risks associated with it, but I do this like 50 times a week, you know, so like very minimal. Um, but there is potential that you'll either um, have impact to your calcium ducts or that you could sustain vocal cord damage. And so I was like, oh, you know, we just know that you're in good hands, so we'll just trust that it's sorted. And then I'd had the surgery, um, and he was like, look, really sorry, but we have bruised some of your vocal, um, your vocal cords while we were doing surgery. And so it's likely that it would take like one to two days to kind of recover. And then one to two days came, and nothing came <laughs> with the voice. Um, and so I was like, okay, maybe it'll just take a little bit longer. And then like weeks passed. And we had a follow-up um, with that surgeon and he was like, I'm really sorry, but if it hasn't come back now, it's not likely to. And, uh, and you basically had no voice. Though. Like, no voice. So literally it was like, I came to camp and was like, yeah, I was still leaving mini print. I was like, guys, can you just listen really good? Because you actually can't talk. <laughs> um, but for those that know me well, like my, my career is in HR and so like talking is my profession. And um, to not be able to do that is really tricky. And so by kind of week five, I was like, oh my word, I'm going to have to like find a new career and start again. This is soul destroying. And like, how do you even pair it without a voice? Like there would be a new adventure entirely. Not that you can't do it, but you know, it'd be tricky. And then um, we got to camp and I still had um, this pretty mammoth scar that was kind of bleedy and yuck. And um, Isla, if you guys know the painters, man, you should off, they're so great. But Isla was <laughs> three at the time. So this would have been th um, three years ago now, <coughs> two years ago. And um, Isla was just like, oh, I just want to pray for you. And so she reached out and touched my, <laughs> touched my scoty neck and was like, Jesus, I just pray that you bring healing to Cindy's voice so that she'll be able to talk again in your name. And I was like, cool. Like, this is pretty incredible because it's a three-year-old who's got this amazing faith. And then nothing happened, and I was like, okay, like, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, and so we'd already spoken to the surgeon at that point about, like, other options for being able to use my voice um, and, like, different attachments that they can give you a robotic thing um, to amplify what you've got going on. And um, it's pretty soul-destroying. But that week after camp, um, I was volunteering at prison fellowship at the time, and I drove out to the hut and, like, so one direction or something trashy came on the radio and I was like, I'm just going to try like, um, and sing along to this. And I had this really like garbled volume, but there was something there and I was like, oh my gosh, like, let's just keep, keep tracking with this. And by like the end of the week, 
I had like this crazy amplified volume to my voice, which was not supposed to be there. Um, and I totally believe that it was a hundred percent response to prayer and like an eyeless faithfulness and like a time when I was already really doubting. And um, yeah, we were talking about that this morning. I like just like what other things that we reflect on where we know a hundred and ten percent like it's miraculous and like without a shadow of a doubt that it's God's total hand moving in our lives. Like we need to retell those stories out eh? because we can just rationalise them the longer we leave it without retelling. So, man, if you've got any small people around, they have, like, faith of something massive. So, like, have them pray for you, but also, like, have that encouragement and faith yourself. Like, it's incredible. So, but, yeah, and now I'm talking. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> a bit of a problem, but, um, <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. So, yeah, keep me telling those stories, eh? It's a good time. That, that um, John 3, that Jesus says to, to Nicodemus, you must become as a child, you must be born again. But everything you've learned, I said this earlier today, that everything you have learned and everything you think you know about following God, to go on a new journey with God, often you have to abandon your idea of who you thought God was. And we like to kind of like, we, you know, this is a lifelong journey, but we like to set up little cities or camps along the way and try to make them home. But God is saying, no, further believe deeper, um, and I think, you know, that is why, that is why Jesus says, you must be born again, um, so he's saying, you've got to go back to where Isla was, you've got to go back to three, where there's no question, there's no, there's no question of, like, can this happen, it's like, well, we have the hope and the naivety to believe that maybe it will, um, and, and, and let's, let's reach out, um, and so I think that's some of where we are, we're going tonight, um, this afternoon, Jay was baptised, which was amazing. Um, and man, it seemed like it seemed like you were definitely cold when you came out, but it also seemed like something else was going on too. Yeah, that was definitely because I got out of the water, and soon as people started laying their hands on me for prayer, I just felt right throughout my. Even though I could feel my body shivering, I just felt throughout all my joints this warmth, this like fire. Well, in it, and I was like, is this because I'm so cold? And then later I realised, <laughs> and then later I realised, when I went to the showers, I was like, no, this is, this is the, the spirit, this is God, mm. he's right there, and Beautiful. in that moment with us all, and that was just so, so, so stunning. Cool. Yeah, awesome. So we had this baptism today, um, Jay, which was like just so, so cool and such a special moment to share with you. Um, but, um, and we've baptised a whole lot of blueprinters over the years, and I really love it. But uh, I just, um, you may not know that as Christians we're actually the people who believe in two baptisms. Um, we don't just believe in one. So we believe in a baptism of repentance, which is a water baptism, which is what Jay had today. But we also believe in a baptism of the Spirit. Um, and so the baptism of repentance um, is what John the Baptist came bringing. John 3, 4, it said, he, he came as a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the paths for him. So guys, it's time to get your house in order. It's time to, re- time to realize that the real king, the real Messiah, the real savior, the one who was talked about by Isaiah and all the prophets, he is coming, repent, be baptized, get your house in order. And last night we, we touched upon that baptism of repentance when we did confession. We, we had this moment of repentance. 
And then there is the baptism of the Spirit. And uh, John talked about this, Luke 3.16. It says, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So John, even as he was baptizing people in water, was saying, there's another one coming, there's another baptism, and it's different to this one. In John 3, with Nicodemus, that verse I mentioned before, Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. So, so Jesus here talks also about these two baptisms. And then in Acts 19, we have this again. I'm just giving you ample evidence here that this could just not be clear out from the scripture, that there are these, these two things. Acts 19, 1 to 6, Paul goes to visit with these people who have never heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It says, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and then they spoke in tongues and prophesied which is to say that they were bilingual and knew both German and Spanish, I think. Um, so what happens here is Paul firstly does the baptism of repentance. Paul dunks him in the name of the Lord Jesus. It says, Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told them to believe in the one coming after them, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So first of all, Paul dunks them the baptism of repentance. It says, get your house in order under the water. But then Paul places his hands on them and the Holy Spirit comes. See, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. The baptism of the Spirit. And then thirdly, straight after that, we hear, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Baptism of repentance, baptism of the Spirit, release of the gifts of the Spirit upon people. Interesting stuff, eh? The baptism, the baptism of repentance is our coming to Christ and our confession, like we did last night. It's our cleansing, it's our renewal, it is our rebirth. The baptism of the Spirit is our infilling with the Holy Spirit to fulfill the mission that Christ has given us. To baptise all people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to go to the ends of the earth. One baptism to be made right with God, one baptism to be equipped with what we need to fulfill the mission of God here on earth. And I just want to look quickly at three scriptures from the New Testament around what it might look like, because tonight what we're going to do is we are going to spend some time asking for this baptism of the Spirit to come, and we're going to ask for those gifts to come, and I hope that we will try to come with the kind of faith that Isla had when she reached out to Cindy's Scotty scar and said, be healed in the name of Jesus. I'm hoping that's how we might be able to approach tonight, but I think there are three, three kind of um, postures we can take. Now, what I want to say first, it is God's initiative to move. Like, it is God who chooses to bless us. We can't do the right thing or conjure up the right words for God to come. It is God who came to earth. We didn't bring him to earth. Like, it is God's initiative. 
But what we can do is make ourselves open and ready to receive what God is doing. And so first of all, um, in Luke 7, 3 to 10, you hear about this man who is a Roman centurion, and he's the, he's the head of a hundred Roman guards, and he is an incredibly powerful man, and he is out in the province of, um, of Judea and Samaria, and he's out there, and he has a servant who he loves, and that servant becomes sick. And he, he's pretty sure the servant is going to pass away. And he hears that there is this troublemaker named Jesus, who a lot of the centurions were kind of trying to like control. And he's like, I'm like, I don't have I don't have any more options. My servant is going to die, and he's like, I can find this man Jesus and ask him if he will heal him. And so he finds Jesus and he says to Jesus, Will you heal my servant? And he says this amazing thing. He says, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. He says, you can't even come around to my house. Like, I'm not worthy of you stepping into my house. I do not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. Now, he believes something different here because he, it was not thought that any of the kind of the, the magicians or the healer types or the fake messiahs around at the time could heal across distance. So he believes, Jesus, you are so powerful that if you just say the word right now, my servant who is back at home can be healed. And then he says this. He says, For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant healed. So what is it that the centurion does there? Well, he says, I am a powerful man. I am a powerful man. I have soldiers under me. I say to my lieutenant, go and do this, and he does it. And I say to another, go sack that village, and, and sacketh it is. And, and on and on it goes. But what he says here, he says, I say, come and he comes to my servant, do this and he does it. And, he says, and what he is saying here is, I realise that all the power I think I have, even in my place of stature, is nothing compared to the power I know you have to bring healing to my servant. That whatever I have amassed in life, whatever I have moved in my career, whatever I have achieved, whatever stature I have, it does not measure up to who you are, Jesus, standing in front of me. And so I ask for a power that is beyond the power I have here to order people around, but the power that you have, Jesus, to go to your Father and say, release power and heal my servant, and I believe it will be done. What does it take for someone of that kind of power and might to come to the place where he sees that this lowly carpenter walking around in sandals and a tunic with 12 heretics has more power than he does? And I think the first way we come tonight, we must come tonight, is we must come humble. And we must look at whoever we think we are, whatever we think we know about Jesus, whatever journey we've been on, however many of these prayer meetings you have been in, whatever theology you have, which maybe doesn't match what the Spirit has been doing here this weekend, 
We come humble and go, Jesus, I believe you are more powerful than the constructions I have built in your mind. I believe you are more powerful than whatever kudos or whatever reputation I have. You are more powerful than the structures in my workplace. And so I come humble to you and believe that you can do something that I could never do. First of all, we come humble. We come saying, Lord, whatever power I have in the world, your power is greater. Second one in Acts 3, we hear about Peter and John. This is a little bit after our our Acts 2 Pentecost um, encounter. And we hear that they come upon this place heading into Jerusalem called the Beautiful Gate. And they arrive at the Beautiful Gate and there is a man there who is lame and a beggar. And he is lying there on the ground and he's outside the Beautiful Gate because he knows that this is where people come through to, to visit the temple and to come through Jerusalem. So he's kind of, you actually see this if you go travelling, that um, the, the beggars in other countries are always in the tourist hotspots, you know. This guy has found the tourist hotspot and he's sitting out there. And as Peter and John come by, he looks up at them and, and basically shakes his begging sack and says, Help me out here, guys. Help me out here. I'm hungry. I'm destitute. I'm poor. Give me something. And what do they say to him? Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. But what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Like the centurion, the posture we have to take is we have to come humble, but secondly, we have to come hungry. We have to come desiring more than what we have. We have to come discontent with the status quo. We have to come believing that there is more depth to knowing God. We need to come desperate that he would intervene. And sometimes, you know, our identities have become so wrapped up in who we are at the moment or in our sickness, or the different challenges that face us, that we've lost our hunger. And I get why we do. It's risky to hunger in that place. Because what if I go hungry again? But we see here that, that, that when we come, that God's spirit is prompted when we come hungry. Like, I just need more of you, God. I just need more of you. I lack. I hunger. I thirst, I need you to come in. We need to come humble, we need to come hungry. And finally, in Luke 8, 43 to 48, we hear about this woman, and this woman um, has been ostracised from her community because she has had continuous menstrual bleeding for 12 years. And, um, and we know throughout the scriptures, it's interesting, eh, this morning we were talking about people who were struck with the same sickness for 20 years, the same sickness for 38 years, the same sickness for 12 years. I've never actually realised until today how many of the people who are healed are people who could have an identity bound deeply in their sickness because they've lived it most of their lives, they've lived it for a generation. And so she's had this menstrual bleeding for 12 years, making her unclean, making her ostracised. And she sees this crowd coming into town who are excited about this Messiah, Jesus. And she gets down into the dust and she crawls on her hands and knees and she reaches out and she grabs the hem of his garment. And power goes from the edge of his garment and she is healed immediately in the moment. And Jesus feels this power going out from him. 
And then it says, Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. We need to come humble. We need to come hungry. We need to come with hope. With a hope. And for someone who had had that condition, who had been ostracised for 12 years, I wonder how hard it was for her to come with hope that it could be different. And yet there is some part of her that believed that maybe if I come to God with my hunger, if I crawl through the dust and the grime through the crowd, if I could, I don't even need to talk to him, but if I could just catch the train of his robe, then maybe power would go out from it and maybe I would be healed. Man, that's crazy hope, eh? Twelve years later, there is crazy hope that if I can just get in proximity to him, maybe something will happen. We've got to come humble knowing that his power is greater than ours. We've got to go come hungry knowing that we need more of him. And we have to come with hope knowing that even if we've been disappointed before, maybe just maybe this time we will, maybe the equivalent for you tonight, maybe it will feel just like it will be to get up from your seat. Maybe that will feel as humiliating as, as crawling through the dust and the grime. And to just reach for that last little shred of belief you have and go, maybe Jesus will meet my hunger tonight. Maybe he will. We come humble, we come hungry, we come with a hope. And so what we're going to do tonight, um, we're going to worship for a little bit first. But... um. But then we're going to come back and I'm going to invite us to, to, to be humble, to be hungry, to be hopeful. Um, and, then for, um, and then we're just going to have a lot of time praying for each other. It's going to be a ride. Um, it's going to be awesome. Cool. Can I invite um, Lauren and Cree to come up here? What does, it, what does it mean if he doesn't? What does it mean if he doesn't? I'm real happy to talk to anyone afterwards if that doesn't happen for them. Um, but I think sometimes what we do is we let what if he doesn't be the thing that stops us from hoping that he might. And I think tonight is about the belief that he might and, um, and being naive and foolish enough to believe that he might. And I think we live in a generation that is cynical and sceptical and has accepted that because it may not happen for one person, therefore none of us should call through the dirt. And tonight, I think, man, I know it ain't easy. Um, but oh, I would challenge all of us to reach out for him. And then together, not, not publicly, but personally together, we, will, we work through the pain of what it is if you feel like he didn't come through. But I can tell you, I said today to my process group that I spent four years in depression and four years asking every day for Christ to bring me out. And when he did bring me out, it was at exactly the right moment and it filled me with such joy and gratitude. And he did it right when he needed to. He did it right when he needed to. And so I'm not guaranteeing you a quick fix here tonight. All I'm saying is let's be humble, let's, let's be hungry, let's be hopeful before God and believe that actually what has happened here and what you've heard testimony of here tonight can happen here tonight. Okay.